Hello, church. Thank you for coming out. Uh, I'm glad you're here. My name is Luke Severn. Uh, I'm a photographer and a member of Element, and uh, this is Film and Theology, and we're watching Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, so why are we here tonight um, is the question, and we're here to watch Star Trek, uh, and we do it as a community, and it's um, the church's family, and we worship God together, uh, even watching a movie. Uh, our God is a creator, and he's a father who loves us, and he calls us to love each other. Um, and he is also a great God uh, and a great artist. Uh, he paints on the canvas of creation. Uh, he has mountains and oceans um, and space and all this, this artwork that we capture with cameras and lenses um, and make movies out of them. Um, and we are ourselves um, an art. Uh, so at the center of this artwork is storytelling. It's at the heart. Um, it starts with in the beginning. Its uh, climax is God wrapping himself in flesh and living and dying and rising again for our sins and rescuing and redeeming us. Um, so storytelling really, really thrives in humanity. Um, movies are, are a big part of storytelling for our generation along with books. Um, I'm going to start out with a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, who I love. Uh, he says this, uh, We have come from God, and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain error, will also reflect a splintered fragment of the true light, the eternal truth that is with God. Indeed, only by myth-making, only by becoming sub-creator and venting stories can man aspire to the state of perfection that he knew before the fall. Our myths may be misguided, but they steer, however, shakily towards the true harbor. Uh, now, Tolkien was good friends with C.S. Lewis, and I'm sure you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. The Chronicles of Narnia are allegory uh, for the Christian life. Christ is Aslan. Um, and the characters go through it. But Tolkien didn't like how it was sort of like an in-your-face, like forced Christianity. He thought the narrative should be buried deeper than the surface level. Um, basically, we take Christ deep into our hearts, and whatever art, whatever story we create, it flows out naturally. Um, the reason why I quoted him and why I bring this up is today I feel like there's a, a big disconnect between uh, what is Christian and what is secular. And I feel like all movies, um, whatever narrative they portray, uh, you could see the Christ narrative in them. And uh, it's, it's really cool to, to go deeper and to see the themes, even in uh, like an action film. So the original creator of Star Trek, Gene, Roddenberry said in an interview in 1991, he hoped that one day some bright young thing would come along and do it again bigger and better than he had ever done it, and he wished whoever did it well. Uh, Enter J.J. Abrams uh, in 2009 with the first Star Trek. Um, J.J. Abrams is one of my favorite producers. Uh, he made the TV shows Lost and Fringe and Alias and another movie... Uh, Super 8, and the Mission Impossible movies. Um, his, his thing is uh, 
mystery. All, all the stuff that he produces and directs are uh, shrouded in, in mystery, and he loves it. Mm. Uh, that's that's kind of what I love about his work. Uh, he did this because his grandfather took him to a magic shop and got him this mystery box, and he was just drawn to this. Um, he he thought that uh, this mystery box was filled with with hope and potential and infinite possibilities. Um, so he he looks for these mystery boxes, and he realized that they're stories. Uh, it's it's an intentional withholding of information, and uh, it draws us. Um, and he his biggest thing is that. Uh, people are the biggest mystery boxes, and characters in movies are these mystery boxes. Um, now, Star Trek is his latest film, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. It's an all-new sequel to the franchise reboot based on the sequel to the original franchise. Um, we join the crew of the Enterprise returning home uh, only to find a new and unstoppable terrorist force that leech from their own organization. So now Captain Kirk and his crew leads a manhunt to a war zone to capture the one man responsible for all this. So we watch this game of life and death unfold as they face uh, this challenging threat. So the cast, uh, Captain Kirk, he's this guy, Chris Pine. You may know him from the first Star Trek. Uh, He also did this movie, Unstoppable, it's about a train, um, and he was on one episode of CSI Miami. Other than that, not much. Uh, Spock, um, he's this guy named Zachary Quinto. Uh, he was the main villain in the TV show Heroes, which was really good for the first season, not so much <laughs> for the other ones. Uh, Dr. McCoy, a.k.a. Bones, he's in a movie called Judge, Judge Dredd. It's a new comic book movie. Uh, Simon Pegg is Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty. Uh, he's from Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And then um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, he, my favorite actor to say his name. Um, he's Sherlock. Uh, and then some other British movies. Um, so here's some stats for Star Trek. The budget of the film was $190 million to create. Uh, the opening weekend racked up $70 million. Uh, gross to date, they, they have made it $228 million, uh, and worldwide, $400 million so far. It's a crazy amount of money that goes into this industry. Um, some trivia about the film. Zachary Quinto, Spock, he had to uh, wake up at 2.30 a.m. every other week and have his eyebrows tweezed uh, to get the Vulcan appearance. Um, a whole hour before all the rest of his cast had to be there. Um, the there's in in the opening shots of the movie. There's this overview, and there's these beautiful hexagonal slabs that you see on the ground, and it actually appears in nature uh, in Northern Ireland at a place called the Giant's Causeway. Um, some other interesting things. Uh, this film had a couple of firsts. It was the first Star Trek movie to be filmed outside of the States, Um, and then it was the first movie ever to be shot in IMAX and then converted to 3D in post, and it actually turned out quite well. Um, The movie plays homage to Star Trek II. Uh, Spock says 
the famous line, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Also, Dr. McCoy says, shut up, Spock. We're trying to rescue you. And these are um, quotes from the original series. And there's some other uh, buried in the movie as well. Um, so that's what I have for the beginning. Uh, let's pray. Dear Lord God, uh, I thank you that we could be here tonight, um, that we, we come to church to be together to uh, see a movie and to worship you and to view your creation. Um, I pray that you change our hearts and our minds to, to see you more um, in everything, uh, that we don't just, we don't just watch um, something for the pure entertainment value, but we, we see that you have this story and you have this movement that is driving and pulsating through everything that we do. Uh, I thank you for being a good and beautiful God and, and saving us. And in your name we pray, amen. Cool. That was a pretty sweet movie, huh? Uh, the last 35 minutes are just so jam-packed with action. It's just adrenaline-filled. Um, with all that battling going on, the Enterprise actually never fired a single shot. It only uh, took damage. I thought that was an um, interesting bit. Um, one of the things a lot of critics nailed J.J. Abrams for was they said that the original Star Trek uh, series had so much philosophy um, going on in it, and he kind of cut all that just to make some action thriller but um, I, I have to disagree with that because, um, yes, the new Star Trek is faster and it has more lights and it's uh, just movement and CGI and it all looks beautiful. But um, even in the first 15 minutes, you see elements of worship and idolatry and uh, sacrifice, death, and then like legalism and pride. Um, it was interesting that the... the culture that um, was on the first planet uh, just kind of adopted a new god once they saw the the, um, the Enterprise leave. It's like, oh, what we were worshiping before wasn't good enough, and now the Enterprise is better, so we worship that. Um, this is a big movie. It's uh, a big scope. Uh, there's multiple planets. There's cityscapes. Um, it just looks good. Uh, San Francisco and London um, just look so amazing. Uh, and J.J. Abrams comments on this, and he says that he has this love for the hyper-reality, uh, a larger-than-life spectacle um, moments that he could create in film. Um, but he says what's more important than that is that the characters are at the center, um, and we emotionally track their movement through uh, this life spectacle uh, moments. Um, so the mystery box concept uh, I talked about at the beginning. Uh, in the film, you see the obvious one, uh, which is just a blatant. Uh, they're not torpedoes. They're really um, Khan's family and crew. Uh, but Khan himself is a mystery box. You kind of never really know what he's going to do. He starts off as Joshua Harris, but that's not really his identity. And um, then it's revealed that um, he he is a 300-year-old uh, super being, in a sense. But um, you still can never quite 
pin down uh, what he's going to do next. Um, and so J.J. Uh, Abrams talks about relating to the characters most, so I wanted to track two characters in particular. Uh, we have Captain Kirk on one side. He's uh, filled with emotion and heart and passion, and he's just kind of goes with the gut feelings. Um, and then on the flip side, you have Spock, which he's calm and cool and collected, and he's he's logical and he's rational and he's he can't break rules and he's honest to a fault. Um, and I feel uh, these two ideologies represent um, a lot of ways Christians go to today. You, you're either run by emotion and it's all about feeling close to God, or you're kind of cold and you're like, oh, I just I know I know Him through the laws and Scripture, so I just I, I follow the laws, I um, go by that, but I don't really have any of this feeling. Um, so first, let's talk about Kirk. Uh, he's, he's emotions, uh, he goes by gut feelings, um, and this kind of leads him, uh, to be reckless and a little bit unintelligent and, and pushing back wisdom and, and not seeking counsel. He's very self-preserving. Um, on the surface, he's kind of the worst captain in Starfleet because he, he fires Scotty out of, of pure spite. Um, and then he promotes uh, Chekhov, who's an inexperienced crew member, to maintain the engines, but that doesn't really go well. Uh, he fails to protect his crew. Uh, he fails to protect the Enterprise. Um, he fails to protect San Francisco. That gets, gets destroyed. Um, but throughout the film, he, he shows this heart and this love for the crew that even though he's, he's going by emotions, um, like they're still uh, at the center of his his mind, and he learns humility by the end of it. Um, so Proverbs nineteen twenty says this: uh, Listen to advice and ex- accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. And then Proverbs eleven two says this: When pride comes, then comes disgrace. So at the beginning, Kirk didn't listen to um, the instruction that he had. Um, but by the end of it, he kind of had a heart change, and, and he would um, listen. Uh, so on the other end of the spectrum, we have Spock. Uh, like I said, he's, he's all about the law and honesty, um, and he has a strong sense of morality. Um, uh, scripture relating to him would be Romans 2.13, for it is not just the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Um, so he's, he's all about the law. Um, so out of the two, the head and the heart, uh, Spock seems like the way to go. Um, but God doesn't want robots who, who just follow laws as a program. We have free will. Uh, God is after our hearts. Um, but I feel as humans, we always bend uh, one way or the other. Um, but tracking both of the characters through the movie, you see how they change, and in the beginning they can't stand each other, but uh, by the end they're family and they're like brothers. Um, And also uh, you see um, their worldview and their ideology uh, really um, come to a climax uh, at the breaking point of the film, 
Um, so Admiral Marcus is, is the war-mongering power-bent uh, military leader, um, and he, he, he attacks the Enterprise with this USS Vengeance that is just bigger and stronger, um, and so they're outgunned and they're outmatched, and they, they have no seeming way out. Uh, so what Spock does is he turns to the only one who could possibly help, which is this older Spock. And it's kind of uh, interesting because it's an alternate uh, timeline. So um, it's, it's, uh, uh, he, gets, he gets answers that he couldn't otherwise get it. Um, so he sees that the, the situation could become worse because Khan is now uh, going into the, the vengeance um, ship and to take control. So that's what Khan does. He uses Kirk uh, to ultimately kill the Admiral and then um, take control of this, this ultra-powerful ship. Um, and now it's the breaking point. Like, there, there seems to be no hope for the Enterprise. Everything is just stacked against them. Um, and this brings us to a very powerful concept called the Deus Ex Machina. It's Latin... Um, and it's, it's when an unexpected person, power, or event saving a seamlessly hopeless situation. So in film, it's kind of contrived a bit because you have all these problems that line up. And it's like, what are we going to do? There's no way out. Oh, wait, we'll just do this. And it solves all the problems. Um, so in a lot of films, it's kind of cheap. It's just like solves, solves the situation without that much difficulty, kind of like how Spock called on older Spock. And it's like all of a sudden they have the answer for the freedom um, and the s salvation of everybody. Um, in film, it's kind of contrived, but uh, this is exactly what Jesus does for us. Um, we're broken and we're shattered in our sin, and we're falling from space, and it's just hopeless. Um, and there's seemingly no way out. But, but God comes and he, he saves us um, when we're in that dark place. Um, so in the film, uh, Spock, knowing the secret to defeating Khan, is the element of victory for them ultimately. Uh, so Spock's heart is changed by going outside of himself to a holy um, and other source. And then Kirk sees that and he learns that he must sacrifice himself for his family and his crew. So... So they both have this heart change. Um, and a good uh, parallel of this for us, um, Jesus is uh, too good to be true. He's just an ocean of grace. He is that holy force that, that saves us when we don't really deserve it. Um, and the scripture that goes along with that, I feel, is uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. Uh, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, were once by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, uh, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, 
and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Um, so when our world is falling out of the sky and everything is breaking and shattered and, and everything just seems hopeless and doomed, uh, we mustn't follow our own way and, and go by what we're feeling because um, that could lead us astray. Uh, same with just allegiance to laws, like the law will not save us. We must look to Christ, this deus ex machina, this grace, um, saving grace. God is good. Amen. Thanks.